Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. It's Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, smash the like button like your Brandon Davies. You have consent. If you haven't yet subscribed to the CBS Sports YouTube College Basketball channel, also do that while you're here. Let's get into it. Cooper Flag, top prospect in the class of 2024. Favorite to be the number one pick in the 2025 NBA draft has publicly committed to the Duke Blue Devils. It happened early on Monday. He chose Duke over UConn. For those unfamiliar, he really shouldn't be. He's a six foot eight forward from Maine who has developed into uh, one of the more interesting prospects we've seen um, in in the recent years. Um, he has been uh, thought of this way, uh, you know. But for several years now, he reclassified earlier in this preseason, and now we know he is going to play his college basketball at Duke. I think we kind of knew this as recently uh, as last week, and the initial thought was that he was going to publicly commit uh, last week, but then, of course, there was a, a, a tragic mass shooting in the state of Maine um, that you know was subsequently led to a manhunt. Um, there was a lot of confusion and, frankly, uh, terror in, in the region uh, last week. So, understandably, um, Cooper Flag delayed his announcement. But with the, that situation now resolved, um, Cooper Flag decided to announce the commitment to Duke earlier today. Norlander, just your thoughts. I know it didn't catch you off guard because we've been waiting on this to podcast, but your thoughts on John Shire uh, landing uh, the best high school senior at the very least in the country. Yeah, no doubt. Um, a few thoughts. I, one kind of unrelated, but I, I, I thought about this uh, as I, I went on HQ earlier today um, to give our listeners and viewers a sense of, of where you evaluate Cooper flag right now. If, if Cooper flag was eligible right now to play college basketball this season, where would you think you would have put him on your personal list of the best players in the sport? Where do you think he would fall? Top three, top five, top 10, top 15. Where do you think you'd put him? Okay. Not ahead of Zach Eady, just because you can't 
do that. Agreed, for sure. Um, second on my list, I think is, I I would be I would consider taking him all the way up to number two. I would as well. So my <laughs> list my list of the best players entering this season was Edie, then Baycott, then Kalkbrenner, Isaiah Collier, Justin Edwards. I think Cooper Flagg's skill set is advanced enough where I think he, I would put him, I would expect him to have the potential to be the second most impactful player as a sport this season. Hello, he's going to play another year of, of high school ball, of course, and he recently just reclassified to move up a class. His skill set is awesome. We've talked about him plenty on the show previously, um, this summer and even last summer. He is, if you are the type to follow college basketball and recruiting, you've known about Cooper Flag for a couple of years now. Yes, it's a sensation because. He comes from the state of Maine uh, and, you know, incredible on its own. I mean, shouts to Saddleback, shouts to Sugarloaf and shouts to Sunday River. Three great mountains to ski at in Maine. Shouts to Ogunquit, a great spot to take the fam. Um, Maine does not produce high level Division One basketball players on an annual basis, let alone every three or four years. But but flag is that. And uh, with that comes a very fascinating, unique part of his story that uh, that he is this guy that, you know, who comes from that part of the country. His mom was a really, really good player at Maine and has been, uh, his family has been a, a major factor in his development. And now he's spending his final season at Montverde. Duke is going to get um, a guy who will enter next season with almost as much hype as any freshman we've had in the past decade. And I say that with Zion Williamson included, um, we can get a little more into his skill set in just a second here, but as I said on HQ earlier on Monday, Zion Williamson and how we view him and his run at Duke now, understandably so and rightfully so, is through the rearview mirror of how generationally different he was as a player in a Duke uniform. But before he got to campus, yes, he was highly anticipated. But guess what? Wasn't ranked first. Wasn't ranked second. Wasn't ranked third or fourth. Zion Williamson was the number five ranked player in his class at 247 Sports. In fact, two of his teammates, some guy named RJ Barrett, and then, of course, Cam Reddish, were one and two in that class. So going into that season, in fact, Parrish and I were at that Champions Classic in Indianapolis that year when Duke destroyed Kentucky and really announced his potential and Zion Williamson therein. Um, in fact, I remember talking to Mike Schmitz, now with the Portland Trailblazers, formerly of... ESPN, we talked about, I remember uh, sitting with him about an hour and a half before the game on the second level of uh, of, of the Pacers home joint where they played the, the Champions Classic that season and saying like, love Barrett. I want to see what Zion can do. Like, I'm a little curious on how impactful a guy he's going to be would do considering his skill set and what he does. Lo and behold, Williamson becomes just an outrageous statistical outlier. We'll see if Cooper Flack can be that. Asking him to be that, I think, is asking too much. But going into his college season, Parrish, he's ranked higher. He uh, Zion committing to Duke was not completely a bolt from the blue, but it was not an automatic. When he did it, it surprised some folks. Remember? Oh, no, that was surprising. That was a shot. Like, that was one, with all due respect to the crystal balls, I think uh, just about everybody had this one wrong. Uh, I, I think so as well. And I, I, I remember when it happened because I actually uh, mentioned skiing just a couple minutes ago. I happened to be uh, skiing in Vermont with some buddies. So that was the one weekend during the season that I took off when he committed. And I remember getting texts about it that he went that he was going to Duke and looking at my phone being like, really, it's going to be Duke. So anyway, I bring that up to say this going into college. The Cooper flag, Duke connection, anticipation, hype around him. I actually think it will be greater than what Zion was before day one playing game one. 
what Flag will be once he gets to college. Let's not try and ask him to be as good as Zion Williamson was because from a PER standpoint, he's, he had the greatest season that's on record at Sports Reference. Uh, and he's not exactly the same kind of player, but he's a ton of fun, incredible defender, incredible two-way player, can handle the ball, can bring it up, distributes well, shoots well, um, has a good body frame already. He'll get even stronger. It's obviously a huge day for Duke. We can speak into, and I'm sure you will, about what this means for Shire and him even get... This is why you get the Duke job, so you can continually get top-ranked prospects, build number one classes, and uh, we have that here. Something of an expected thing for Duke fans. UConn fans held out hope. I know there was some buzz late about maybe they'll actually pull it off, and Dan Hurley and his staff, they made an incredible push, an incredible charge, but when it came down to it, you know, in the final days, if you will, Duke just had enough, and it's Duke going up against Duke. It's it's very, very hard. This is no stunner, but nonetheless, it's a good thing for that program and a great thing for college hoops. So, by the way, that a guy who's considered potentially the best prospect in the past decade or so uh, winds up choosing to take the college route instead of going to other avenues outside of that. Um, as the great Pete Gillen once said, Duke is Duke, and it is it is impressive that at least from a recruiting perspective. Nothing has fallen off. You you could look at the recruiting rankings the last five years under K, the first few years under John, and you can't tell any difference whatsoever. They're still getting the same caliber of guys they've always gotten, or at least have, have gotten for a while now. And so this is a another step in the right direction. Duke does, does now have the number one recruiting class in 2024. We'll get you through that um, in, a, in a second. But I... I, I the Zion thing was interesting in the sense that I don't really remember. I'm sure there's another example, but sometimes somebody comes to college with the reputation of, yeah, he's going to be the number one pick in the draft. And then you watch him and you go, oh yeah, he's the number one pick in the draft. Like maybe that's John Wall, right? John Wall enrolls at Kentucky yes. and you're like, I think John Wall is going to be the number one pick in the draft. And then it's, you watch him and you go, yep, he is. Anthony Davis would be another one of those probably. Zion was, as you noted accurately, the third best recruit in Duke's class that year. This is the part that I, I don't think is um, very common. Nobody had him projected to be number one in the draft. No, literally nobody. And within a, three weeks, maybe a month of his freshman season, everybody had him projected to go number one in the draft. It happened pretty quickly, yeah. and he never uh, let go of that. Obviously, his NBA career has been uh, a, a bit up and down. He has been an all-star, but he has barely played. Um, but one of the reasons people thought about Zion coming into college, um, again, he was a top five recruit, but he wasn't the best. And the reason some people were skeptical um, of him as an NBA prospect, and really uh, on some level of what he might be able to do in college, was because it was like, okay, you can bully ball people in high school, but you're not going to be able to do that in the ACC. And then it was like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe you can do that in the ACC. And then there were some still out there like, yeah, but can you do it in the NBA? Buddy, as somebody who like sat and watched him last week, um, he can still do it in the NBA. When he's healthy, he is still awesome. Um, but that was that was obviously a unique situation. Cooper Flagg enters Duke ranked higher um, uh, with, with a better reputation as a player. But I think you'd be crazy to think that Cooper Flagg will match Zion's productivity, if only because like almost nobody ever has. It was yeah. a historically great college basketball uh, season from Zion Williamson. I don't expect that from Cooper Flagg, but I do expect him to be great. It's why, you know, circle back to your initial question, if I if he were entering college right now and I were putting together a list, top 101 players, I'd go Zach 81, and I might really go Cooper Flagg too. And it wouldn't bother me that, you know, but he's really young. 
because he's always been really young against playing against older people. And it has never, I don't want to say always, but he has for a while been playing against older people and it has ra- rarely been a problem. He looks the part. He's, um, he's fabulous. He's fabulous. Uh, I know some people um, wonder if it'll plateau a little bit at the NBA level, mm-hmm. but I'll worry about that later. Yeah. Uh, for now, I, I tell you what, I've never seen him in a basketball competition where he didn't look like he was special. And I'm going to assume that's going to continue. Yeah, he's got uh, he's got a lot to to his game there. And uh, I believe we have a poll up in the chat, Nada, right now. Um, just asking our viewers on YouTube right now, uh, you know, all things aside, where, where, where would you have rather seen Cooper Flag play college basketball? Would you rather see him go to where he's going, Duke? Or would you have rather seen him go to UConn? Obviously, both those programs have national championships. UConn has the most recent one and gave it a really good push there. Um, and, you know, I think even getting that deeply involved in this kind of recruitment, Adam Finkelstein talked about this earlier today on HQ as well and wrote about it to get that deeply involved. Um, uh, after like flag was, you know, for a good year plus flag was just assumed that he would be going to Duke. And it, it seems like they, they really made it a, a tough decision for that family. Not a, do we have some votes in yet? And maybe I'm a little pr- premature on this, but I believe you posted the poll. What is the, uh, out of curiosity for anyone that is, uh, you know, watching and voted through right now what is what is the return on uh, on flag would they have rather seen him at duke or yukon so far the poll is 55 45 correctly for duke correctly for duke well um why do you say correctly out of curiosity not we have a flamboyant outwardly demonstrative white guy that's going that's actually good at basketball playing for duke i so, love numbers i love clicks there's no better place for this man to be the second coming of Christian Leitner than at Duke. Well, okay. So two thoughts on that. Um, it is undeniable that because Cooper flag is incredibly awesome at basketball and is another really talented white player that's going to play at Duke and Duke is a polarizing program that this is going to bring attention. It's going to give people reason to look at Duke as an antagonistic entity within the sport. Um, but I'm not going to presume and not, I'm not saying you were explicitly putting this on his shoulders that uh, Cooper flag who will play one year in college. Christian Leitner played for, um, will uh, want to or embrace any kind of villain role, uh, will approach anything close to the likes of Grayson Allen. That being said, Parrish, I think you would agree that uh, we can acknowledge the obvious thing here, and that is that Duke landed the rightful and deserved number one recruit in the class, and in doing so by bringing in a highly heralded white player. That just seems to breed a lot of intention and people to give people reason to hate Duke again, which in a broad scope... I mean, whatever. Do what you got to do. It is good for the sport. It is great for the sport that Cooper Flag did not want to go to overtime elite or G League at night. He wanted to have the college experience. And it is good for the sport that Duke, which will have a preseason top five team a year from now, and Flag, which I think will be one of the rare players as a freshman to be a first team All-American in the preseason. We almost never get that. It, choosing that, it, it is better for college basketball that even if this trope can be a little worn out and played out, it nonetheless might prove true at Duke next season. Would you agree? Uh, sure. But like, is it strictly a race thing? Like, did people hate Zion Williamson? No, I don't. I, I don't think so. I think there was. No, I don't think I don't think there was a lot of backlash to Zion. No. So it, is it people? I understand there are people who hate Duke, right? I get that. Um, but when we're talking about hated Duke players, does it have to be a white person? 
It normally is. It normally is. It normally is. Yes, it normally is. And whatever dynamic there, that's that's a fascinating, separate cultural conversation, I guess. But I think that does play a factor here. I, you know, it, here's it, my challenge to Cooper Flag. Obviously, I think obviously, presumably, he's going to be awesome. Can you be the rare, perhaps unprecedented, awesome white player at Duke that people actually love? Love, not even like love. Yeah, I mean, like people, people say, "Man, I don't care about Duke, but God, I love Cooper Flag. Isn't he great?" I mean, he they is. exist. I'm wondering, well, can you do that? Filipowski is not hated right now. Filipowski is a top five player in the sport, returning at Duke. He doesn't receive this, and nor should he. And I'm not even saying if I'm not saying if you're a super talented white guy going to Duke, you're deserving of the scorn. Cooper Flag doesn't deserve any of that. I'm saying from a broad perspective, people that love to hate Duke, I, first of all, having a villain in the sport is a good thing from a program perspective. That is a good thing for college basketball to ignite these kinds of emotional responses. But Cooper Flag, from all we've seen of him to this point, upstanding young man, you know, the pride of Maine and, uh, and has done nothing but the right thing so far in his life. So he's not deserving of this. I'm just saying some of it seems unavoidable and to your, you know, your wonderment uh, or, or posing a question or potentially even a challenge. I wonder if he can get there. He's good enough to make it possible because he, the way he plays basketball, it not just is effective and great. It looks fun. Like he is a very fun player to watch how much they actually allow him to bring the ball up the floor. We'll wait and see on all of that, but he's got a great eye can distribute. Well, again, tremendous tremendous shot blocking instincts from all over the floor on ball weak side defender. It's terrific. And uh, as long as he continues to build himself out there, it's, it's hard to see how he will not be a player of immense value and impact right away. So people are asking in the chat, um, like was JJ Redick hated? I think he was. Wasn't he? That's not even a question, right? I think Redick is it's Redick. Leitner and Grayson for the most hated of, of, of all. And the reasons differ uh, if you really want to bury into them. But yes, that, that, and you can even, you can go back before that. I mean, you can, it, it's not the same level, but Josh McRoberts, who by the way, is one of five number one rated prospects in a given class that have committed to Duke. It was McRoberts. And this is obviously the modern era. So we're only going back like 20 or so years. McRoberts, Okafor, Barrett, Marvin Bagley the third, and now Cooper Flag. Those are your five top-ranked prospects that have committed to Duke in the past two or so decades. All right, Cooper Flag, that's my challenge to you. Be a awesome, but also beloved white star at Duke. And I wouldn't say it's only been. Can you pull that off? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's only been white players at Duke that have been hated. Jay, Jay Williams, when he was Jason Williams. He had a streak in him that I think caused him to be something of a little bit of a villain. Do you remember that, GP? I do not remember yeah, Jason Wynn, but was, I don't remember anything. That's also yeah, that's 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 kind of true there. Um, but yeah, that's it's a, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting dynamic, and we don't see it with all players, and we and nor should we. But oh, somebody in the chat, Greg Paulus. Greg Paulus had to deal with it. Greg Paulus, yeah, but Greg Paulus almost like he was. Uh, and, and and you talk about a guy who like. Greg Paulus now coach at Niagara. By the way, like people, this is the thing. Greg Paulus, nicest guy in the world. Such a sweet, he's, like the sweetest man in the world. In fact, he said, "I use the phrase such a sweet man." He would appreciate us using the phrase "sweet man." Like the I, and you know, he got uh, uh, who was the player? Who was the Carolina player that that uh, that really got him with the dunk? Oh, I'm blanking on it, but like that almost absolved him of all his wrongdoing forever. 
forget it. Someone in the chat, help me. Uh, Gerald Henderson. Uh, Gerald Henderson. No, no, no. Um, who was the uh, Who was the Carolina? Green. What's up? I think it was Danny Green. I think it was Danny Green. That's a great call, Nada. The Danny Green dunk all over Paulus, which is an, immortalized in a photo um, forever. And the chat's really picking us up there. Yeah, it's Danny Green. That almost absolves him of that. But uh, but yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a huge it's a huge thing for Duke and for Shire who continue. He continues to be able to recruit. And there's been a couple of mentions in the chat. And I get this thought, Parrish. Well, Shire's been able to continue to do this, but don't forget who's still occupying that office, you know, not so far away from Cameron, referring to Kay, of course. Um, Shire was the lead recruiter on a lot of the top prospects and was getting and was, while Kay is the coach, and that was by far the most influential factor for, for Duke getting the prospects it got. A major reason why Shire got this job was he had established himself as a veritable recruiter for just about any top tier prospect. And that has not dropped off whatsoever. You want to know why Shire got the job? And I, and I will qualify this because he's there preseason top five. You got to go out and do this this season. Like you've got to go out and be the best team in the ACC. You've got to go out and prove that you validate that ranking. So we'll see if they can prove it on the court, but off the court, it has, it has gone up. There's not been, it hasn't been static and steady or dipped. It has gone up from a recruiting standpoint. And that is one of the major reasons why Shire at a relatively young age got this job over plenty of others who have died to, to get that opportunity. Um, no, like I said, from the recruiting uh, perspective, nothing has changed at Duke. You could argue it's gotten better. Um, but yes, they have to do it on the court. Um, last season was, I mean, they finished well. I mean, I guess the variant wasn't great, but you know, they won, they, they, as the calendar flipped to like, you know, mid-February, early March, that it, it finally got healthy, lively, got a little more comfortable. They got good. Duke got good. Duke did not have a great season, but Duke got good as the season progressed. And, you know, now you've you, you got a team. I mean, if you're John Shire, you've got a team good enough right now to win the national championship. And then you get and then whatever happens this season, you got Cooper flag on the way. He has set himself up for success. And I guess to address uh, what you referenced in the chat, it is obviously true that whoever the Duke coach would be right now, that person would be benefiting from the legacy of Mike Krzyzewski. Um Josh Pastner at, at Memphis used to talk about this all the time. Like he, he early was a, a recruiting at an extremely high level in part because he was still recruiting to Memphis and people were connecting that to Derrick Rose and Chris Douglas Roberts and you know a national championship game and and you know I remember I can't remember the player but Josh told me one time that he had an in with a recruit who's the main connect the main reason this person was interested in Memphis was because he was in Chris Douglas Roberts was his favorite college basketball player and he was like I don't even know if the guy knows that I didn't coach Chris Douglas Roberts but that's like that. I'm still I'm still yeah. living off of that a little yeah. bit. John is living off of that at Duke, but any coach would be. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is this: any coach would any coach at Duke would be able to recruit well, but and that is because of what Mike did over decades. But I don't think Mike Shashevsky is recruiting this basketball team, or that the players are going there because of Mike Shashevsky. They're going to Duke because it's Duke, and because of let's just say it. Name, image, and likeness. That, that's, oh, why Duke, that's, why, that's why Duke is – if you were trying to list the reasons Duke is flourishing and recruiting under John Shire, 
the reasons would be because it's Duke, name, image, and likeness, and John Shire in some order. I wouldn't yes. even put Mike Krzyzewski in the top three. Yeah, and this, and I'm sure that uh, you know publicly, Duke and and the Flag family aren't going to uh, seek to boast about this, and that's fine. They don't have to. It's it's whatever. But I, I, it would not surprise me whatsoever if the reality, even if it isn't uh, materially proven to be, is that you know you will have you have Cooper flag making more money entering college than any basketball player in this young NIL era. If you told me that Cooper flag after the NIL collective at Duke and his own individual opportunities was making more than $3 million for his one and only season at Duke, I would believe you without hesitation. I think that kind of money is very much on the table when you consider the amount of hype that's been around him on the Nike EYBL circuit for the past two plus seasons, you go to Duke um, and there's nothing wrong with it. By all means, go ahead and do it. Uh, it is the nature when you get into these high-profile recruitments. Uh, every prospect, you know, evaluates how much that means to them differently. But yes, NIL is also a major factor there. And if 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 Duke behind the scenes is capable of of affording that and Cooper Flag because he carries immense value. What did I say earlier? He is going to be more anticipated going into Duke than even Zion Williamson was because a lot of Zion's appeal happened once we actually like. He was a social media phenomenon, a dunking viral sensation. We covered his game against LaMelo Ball in Vegas. Like there was plenty with Zion there, but he had another, he had a loaded class with him. And RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish were also plenty known. Duke's building a number one class. There are going to be other known f- players on that roster. Don't get me wrong, but Flag is at a different level. And so, yes, understandably so, as the market will dictate, he will command a huge price and he is going to be able to step in. And this is the whole new world we're talking about. When we talk about NIL and how it can impact all sorts of different kinds of programs in different kinds of ways. It's very nuanced, but at the in the broad sense where it matters most is players like Cooper Flag, who because they have built up a reputation deservedly so, it is refreshing to see that if those monetary opportunities are out there to be had, by all means, man, go and go and get it. Nothing is nothing is guaranteed to you. Nothing is promised. We hope he has a flourishing freshman season with immense potential. That's all realized, but nothing of that is guaranteed. So if he's got that much value as a 17 or 18 year old, he deserves to cash in on every single cent of it. So it's now official. Duke has the number one recruiting class in America, according to 24 seven sports. We'll run you through that class next. But first, a word from our partners. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So it's now official. Duke has the number one recruiting class in 2024. It is currently a four-player class headline by Cooper Flag, the number one player in the class. They've also got a commitment from Isaiah Evans. He's a six-foot-six wing, ranked 11th in the class of 2024. Got a commitment from Con Knipple, a 6'5 wing, ranked 16th in the class of 2024. And a commitment from Darren Harris, a 6'6 wing, ranked 56th in the class of 2024. So Duke now has three five-stars and a four-star committed for 2024. Obviously, that's great in most eras. Is it great in this era, Norlander? Do you really want four high school players in this era of college basketball? Now, that's an intriguing question. Okay, so uh, as it just so happens, I was texting with uh, a power conference coach earlier today, and this coach was talking about NIL and freshmen and value therein, and we got to you know conversing about that and how you can easily make the case that in the past 15 or so years, freshmen have never carried less value than this upcoming, than this past season and probably this upcoming season. We'll see if that winds up being the case with the, with an exception here or there, you know, Brandon Miller from a talent perspective was the best freshman and he carried immense value for Alabama last season. We'll see if the likes of Isaiah Collier at USC, Cody Williams at Colorado or one of Kentucky's major, many major freshmen winds up being a major impact player. Um, but this coach told me, he said, this whole thing's bizarre, man. Like you still have these recruits that are entering their senior high school, sometimes their junior high school that are trying to overplay their hands when it comes to how much money they can be uh, delivered. Um, and it, by, they sure they can go ahead and do that. Uh, but when it gets to time to being on the floor, when in their, their freshman seasons come, like we'll see how much value they actually carry. Um, because now this coach is saying, I have an entire country of proven players, guys who will go into the portal, who could be from a mid-major school, from a power conference school. They could have one year of experience. They could have four years of experience. They're proven players. They're, they, they, they carry more value to me for the most part than a high school, you know, than a high school senior freshman to be. And it is an intriguing point here. We can talk about how much flags value is, and it's immense. And a number one class is value. Tremendous, right? But when we look up a year from now, like who's going to be on this Duke roster this season that will be there next season? And, I, and the chat was kind of buzzing with this earlier as well. Kyle Filipowski, unlikely to be there. Uh, Jeremy Roach will have another year of eligibility. We'll see whether or not he returns or not. Tyrese Proctor, unlikely to be there. Ryan Young won't be there. Mark Mitchell should be determined with that. And then you've got this freshman class that's in there this season. Again, another highly ranked freshman class. Who's going to hit and be a one-and-done player who might need another year? And frankly, Shire, privately, undeniably, will hope that a couple of these guys can return because you're just not going to want a young a young class there. So, Paris, you bring up a very important point that I think can easily get overlooked uh, in the immediacy of a big headline like this. It's great to have a freshman class, but in the year 2023 and 2024, having a top-ranked freshman class doesn't seem to carry as much value and cachet as it did in 2018, let alone really the 2006 to call it, you know, 2018, 19, basically that Zion RJ Cam Reddish year. So it doesn't ensure that Duke moving forward once it, you know, it's probably going to hold on to this number one ranking. Um, 
should be considered a title favorite. That being said, because of flags value, uh, I would be surprised if Duke is not ranked in the preseason top five a year from now. So let me try to answer my own question. Um, I think it comes down to, uh, you know, uh, on some level, the context, how many players are you going to need to enroll in, in time for next season? Like if you need to enroll eight, well then having four from high school, ain't that big of a deal. If you're only enrolling five, then I think four of them being high school players is, is not ideal. So some of it's going to come down to how many new players are you actually going to add in advance of next season? And John and his staff obviously have a better idea of that than you and I or anybody else does. So we may look up in, let's say, next June and I go, oh, yeah, of course, this made sense. Then they, you know, no problem taking four high school guys when when you're going to have to take eight total anyway. Um, but broadly speaking, um, I, I like obviously you take Cooper Flag, obviously you take Isaiah Evans, obviously I think you take Con Canipo. I don't know how you turn down five star top twenty prospects, right? But Darren Harris is interesting to me. All right, that that, that he ain't helping you in year one. Is he going to be around in year two? Could he even help you in year two? Like I that's the one where I go, if I were Duke, would I do this? And honestly, if I'm Darren Harris, do I do this? That's the one where I. I don't care whether you're whether you're signing five or eight or fifteen. I promise you, Duke could fill a roster spot with a player more capable of helping them next season. Um, then, and I say this with respect. You know, I'm not trying to. I I realize we're talking about teenagers here. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I'll just say somebody ranked in the fifties coming out of high school probably ain't somebody that's going to help the Duke Blue Devils in year one. Ever. Yeah, keep going, keep going. Just ever. And so that's one where I'd go, all right, do we really want this one? Or would we, would we be better equipped rather than go ahead and secure a commitment from somebody ranked in the 50s? Should we just leave that spot open and just trust when the transfer portal opens, we'll find somebody better than, than that to help us next season. And we'll have a better idea of exactly what we need you know, in next April, yeah. uh, May or June then we know what we need right now. Yeah, you would think, uh, you know, Parasnosis, for those that have never stepped a uh, foot in, uh, in a coach's office or in the facilities, uh, every staff has uh, a whiteboard and on that it's got a cool. roster and then you got, you know, future years, four or five, six, and you've got, they've got stuff that's filled out on it in terms of um, recruits they're targeting and rosters and, and trying roster building. Without a doubt, Duke should and will have at least one spot open to get a player in on the transfer market. But to your point, GP, they're not even done. I mean, from the from the 2024 recruiting standpoint, they're still in on three other highly ranked players. Dylan Harper, who, you know, obviously Rutgers is hoping to land him, but they're still in that. Uh, Vijay Edgecombe and then Patrick and, and Gongba. That's three high-level players. And you would think probably now flag. It's interesting how these things work. You would think they'll probably get one more of those guys because it's Duke and these things have a way of, of being contagious in a good way. Occasionally, depending on the player and depending on the timeline, if one guy commits, it can prompt another guy to steer his talents to a different school for understandable reasons. If you're concerned about minutes or usage and all that. Uh, but in other ways, um, it can really attract, you know, to get that one final piece from a big recruiting class there. But it has, it, we have entered into a new era and I don't know how long the era will last. It might, it might last for a good while here where you want to have these huge recruiting hits without a doubt. You is particularly when it comes to be like a top 10 to 15 level freshman, no coach is going to say no to that. But with where the game is right now, and because we have the bonus COVID year, just telling you, and, and you see it in the statistics and, 
Harris and I can both give you accounts from you know a couple dozen coaches minimally. Freshmen just aren't as coveted right now yeah. uh, as they once were. And again, I'm going to reemphasize, particularly once I'm not. You could be a five star guy, rank 18th, and you might not be as coveted as you once were. So you get into this balancing act where you want to continue to have good recruiting momentum because when you're actually in it, like you're you're on a staff, you're recruiting, and I'm taking this based off impressions and conversations I've had with coaches over the years, like a lot of those recruiting wins, like they, they're just, they're considered so vital to your program because they give it credibility for the class that's to come after and the year after that. So you don't want to lose standing in that uh, because if you do, it feels like you can really fall off the landscape pretty quickly. But at the same time, just telling you, like we get into September, October and you hear all this recruiting buzz and it's legitimate, it's viable, but once we're into mid-February, March, April, it's the portal. And those are the players that seem to have a lot more impact and, and matter more. And you can take our top 101 list as evidence of that. There are just as many, if not more, players that are at a second school right now that are on our list of top 100 players as there are you know, high-level freshmen uh, or even second-year players on their first school still. So just keep that in mind moving forward. Duke's an interesting case. In many ways, it's one of three or four schools that can be an outlier in this environment. But I'm glad you brought that up, GP, because it's a very good point uh, worth addressing here uh, with Duke and all of the Blue Bloods that are still going to be hyper-focused on high-level talent. But at the end of the day, you look at the teams that win national championships that get to the Final Four, and you see how veteran balanced they are. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Yeah, like in a different era, not too long ago, pre-one-time transfer waiver, pre-name, image, and likeness, uh, this was pretty easy. Like, you know, if you can go, hey, we're taking seven players from high school, four, five stars and three, four stars. That's an amazing class. Now you do and you do that every day and you feel great about it. Now it's like, all right, how many 18 year olds do we really want in this world where we're competing against 23 year olds? I guess even in this era, I would want the number one high school player over the number one transfer. I think. Oh, uh, that's it. Would you? Okay. Right now, I in this oh, right here, Cooper Flag or Hunter Dickinson, I would take Flag, but I don't know if I would take that every year. That's well, a good okay. Question. Hunter, Hunter, Fla uh, Hunter Dickinson or Isaiah Collier. Who you I rank Collier. I ranked Collier higher on my personal okay. list. So uh, I don't, I guess here's what I'm saying. There is where it's even debatable right at the top. Yes. But it's a sliding scale. Like the deeper you go, it the how about this? It's debatable at one, but let's just for the sake of the conversation, let's say we we agree. For yeah, yeah we yeah. don't. We take the number one high school player of the number one transfer every year. We take the number two high school player of the number two transfer of the year. It gets to a point where give me the 15th best transfer over the 15th best high school player. Yes. And it definitely gets to the point where give me the 56th best transfer over the 56th best high school player. Like the deeper you get into it, you want the the you, you, you want the hey I can either have a guy ranked in the fifties or I can have Nevada's second leading score. I, I I can either have an eighteen year old ranked in the fifties or I can have a Saint Bonaventure's twenty two year old fifteen point per game score from last season who shot forty one percent from three. Yeah, that's not even close. Mm -hmm. And so I I I just think it, it. I had a coach tell me, and he works at a prominent program but obviously not as prominent as duke but a prominent program and you know what he told me with rare exceptions he said i don't live and die with recruiting rankings the way you guys do he's making fun of us he's like but for the sake of the conversation i'd never take somebody ranked out of the top 75 again at a high school never 
They can't, I, it, it will, I will, I'm just not recruiting them because if I can't, this is what the coach told me. If I can't find transfers better than the 75th high school player in the country, then I'm not doing my job. Yeah. So I just don't take them anymore. Landscape has changed and it has changed quickly. I mean, (laughs) faster than any, the faster than I believe almost any coach really anticipated when it comes to the value of transfers and how they're being used. And some of this will dial a little bit back in about two years once the COVID bonus year goes away and all those players have expired that eligibility. But I don't know if it's going to dial all the way back to the way that it used to be. All right. So the big news of the day of the past week, Cooper Flagg is committed to Duke, but there's been some other basketball news including news connected to the NIT. It's turned its back on small conferences. How dare it? Exactly. We'll get into that next. First, another word from our partners. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. The NIT has turned its back on small conferences. Regular season conference champions that do not make the NCAA tournament will no longer receive an automatic bid to the NIT under the new selection criteria that was recently announced. Deadleg, your thoughts. All right. Um, yeah, let's dig in just a little bit here. And I'm not going to put on and present that the NIT uh, is even nearly as important as the NCAA tournament because it's not. But that being said, the overwhelming majority of Division One basketball is comprised of mid and low major programs. And to make the NIT at that level still means something. It still means a lot there. And the NCAA on Friday, it news dumped this in a way that within NCAA circles, this, this, this came as a stunner. You had multiple commissioners openly disagreeing with this. I'll read a couple of statements here. The first came from the commissioner of the MAC, John Steinbrecher. He said, quote, I was surprised and disappointed in the action announced today by the NIT Board of Managers approximately one week prior to the start of the 23-24 season to make such a substantive change to the NIT structure without providing a satisfactory explanation or building the foundation for such a change is troubling and leaves student-athletes, coaches, and fans in a state of uncertainty. From there, you had uh, a few other commissioners piggybacking. Dan Butterly from the Big West, who sits on the Men's Basketball Oversight Committee and typically would be aware of these. Like Men's Basketball Oversight Committee is dealing with everything from big picture stuff that creates headlines that podcasts like ours react to and fans care about to just like small nuanced things that no one really much cares about but matter behind the scenes. If you're on the Oversight Committee, like you're aware of almost everything... He was blindsided by this. So um, 
He said the press release and this email from the NCAA were distributed while I was driving back to Orange County from the Big West Cross County Country Championships. And obviously, I am very upset with this news from the NCAA. As a member of the NCAA MBOC, I have received communication angry at the decision. These individuals believe the Men's Basketball Oversight Committee had influence on this decision since one of the roles of the MBOC is to, quote, enhance the development and public perception of the sport and make recommendations related to regular season, postseason men's basketball. End quote. He continues, I can directly state this decision was made by the NIT, NIT board and was not managed through the NCAA governance structure. Therefore, as a member of the NCAA MBOC and NCAA council, I can assure you the NIT board decision was made without our opinion nor our vote. I got one more. Bernadette McGlade, the uh, commissioner of the Atlantic 10, shared some thoughts with me earlier today. Um, and GP as, as former, I emphasize former MC of a 10 media day. I know you will identify with this, uh, intently from, uh, pre pandemic. Correct. Uh, McGlade, by the way, sat on the selection committee for the NCAA tournament. So this kind of statement, I think speaks volumes. Um, she said the recent announcement for an immediate change in the selection qualifying formula for the NCAA owned NIT postseason championship is more than concerning on several levels. First, the three person NIT board of managers made a unilateral decision without feedback from anyone in the association, not the governing boards, the NCAA council, the conference or conference commissioners, the membership, the NABC or the NIT, even the NIT selection committee, Gary Parrish. She continues, this single fact is alarming and contradicts any membership driven organ driven organization with a structured governance process approved by the association. Second, she says, a great concern is the NCAA making this public statement that conference affiliation based on biased and, and brand awareness. It's the wealthiest autonomy five football conferences and preferentially adding in the Big East are now in a protected class for access to an NCAA-owned postseason basketball championship. Third, the conflicting concept now that the NCAA's net data point is also a solo deciding factor for access to the postseason. We will get to that in just a second. McGlay brings up a great point on this. The Men's Basketball Selection Committee has, since the introduction of the net, been preaching to the membership and coaches that, quote, the net is a sorting tool, only one of many data points for determining a team's strength quality in the selection process. Unquote. She said there's continued uh, stuff to unpack there. We'll see the three person board. And this is why this is kind of stunning from behind the scenes. Hardcore followers of the sport are where the name Dan Gavitt. He essentially runs the tournament is in charge of so many things tied to men's division one college basketball. Um, he is one of three people on this board along with Stan Wilcox, who's a senior executive with the NCAA. And then I'm told Scott Beerby, who is legal counsel there, that three person um, triumvirate, if you will, redundant as that phrase is, was the ones who decided to do this. And apparently it was able to be done. Like if you really want to know, like why is the NIT as an NCAA owned entity not going through the proper channels to get clearance on this and to have it announced less than two weeks before the start of the season. This is not a change for two, three years from down the road, GP. This is for this upcoming season. Why could it do this? Well, apparently, again, from a legal perspective, the NIT, which the NCAA bought from ESPN, is un technically apparently under a separate LLC from the NCAA governance structure. And I was told Gavitt brought this up to the MBOC some months ago before we even before the public knew that this Fox Sports potential end of March made for TV tournament that would only have power conference teams um, 
he brought up like there might need to be some changes that are made, but no one saw this coming. And there's a ton of blowback behind the scenes, which there should be. I mean, I'll shut up and let you react to this. But you, like the idea that we are now going to have the net decide which teams are in from power conferences based on their rankings and to eliminate regular season champions from mid-major leagues that don't obviously get the auto bid. So they win their regular season, but they lose in their conference tournament. Now they're not guaranteed access to the NIT. Mm -hmm. Most schools value this more than the, mid than the power conferences ever do. I think it's wrong. And this is about, from an NCAA perspective, this is about as stunning of a headline as I can recall in recent years because it just seems to go so much against of what the people in charge at the NCAA level with men's basketball stand for. Instead, this is a panicked move to potentially offset Fox Sports's hopeful maybe could it happen tournament and from there there could even be an unintended consequence I'll get to that in a minute Parrish what are your thoughts okay well a few things and I just want to make sure people understand um, exactly what we're talking about the big change is in previous years as recently as last March if you're just say Iona and you win your league but then lose in your league tournament you don't get the automatic bit of the NCAA tournament you would still have a spot in the NIT guaranteed now you don't Correct. You're not going. If you're Iona and you lose in your conference tournament, you ain't playing in the NIT. Anymore. You could get in, but in you're theory, not. Yeah. But you're not. Good. You're not guaranteed. Yes. Yeah. You're not guaranteed. Okay. And you're probably not getting there. But whatever. So I was going to ask you. I'm glad you brought it up. Do you think this is a reaction to the Fox tournament? I think it is on it, some oh, level. It, it absolutely is. And yeah. again, I don't want to hog the mic here. It it absolutely is. I think it might be a bit of a misfire on this because I'll add a little more intel. Because this this is what I'm about to say is based on a conversation with a few coaches and a few athletic directors over the past three or so weeks. Those people have told me that they are not all in on this Fox idea because, and we mentioned this briefly on a show some weeks back. This Fox tournament that would be held in Vegas and and is trying to get all the power conferences to go in on it and would mandate that you would have to play in this if, if the leagues actually signed up for it. I was told there's pushback within a lot of these leagues because the coaches don't want a two, two and a half week break between this. They know they're going to lose players in the portal. Some guys are going to lose their jobs. The athletic directors aren't for it whatsoever. So the idea that the NCAA is doing this as a reaction to what Fox might do, that is true. And Fox might have enough momentum to make this happen, but I, I have been getting signals of resistance on that to begin with. So this might, it might, might be based on something of a faulty premise. Okay. Um, just a few things here on, on the Fox thing. I do believe it's going to happen. Um, uh, not this season, but I believe starting in the next, um, I don't know that anything would be mandated, but certainly the expectation would be if I was you, told, Two different athletic directors told me that the, the plan here is that if you do this, uh, you are mandated to go if you qualify for the tournament. And when AD was like, I'm not doing it. He told me he he told me he he went to other people in his conference and said, I will not do this. I will not force my coaches and players to do this if we're mandated to play in the Fox tournament. So okay. we'll, see, we'll see if the terms of that change behind the scenes. So th there's just some interesting stuff here. Um, the, the Fox idea, I do think... I, I don't think this NIT thing comes out of nowhere. I think it is a reaction to the Fox deal. And I had never really thought about this before, um, but I thought, I thought it was interesting when it was presented to me. And let's see if we can – I'm going to walk you down this path. Let's see if you get to the same place. Okay. Biggest NIT memory past 15 years. Whatever pops into your head. Oh my gosh. That's Just whatever pops into your head. What's the <laughs> thing? What's the biggest thing you remember about the NIT? I feel like South Carolina made a couple of title games in a few year span. That's what I got for you right now. 
Honestly, like it's honestly that North Texas just won it. I'm aware of Grant McCaslin winning the most recent one. Okay. That's fair. I, I mean, I can't put things in your head. When when I was asked that question, you know what popped into my head? Robert Morris over Kentucky. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yes. Yes. Like I I can forget who wins any NIT. That's I know one. North Texas is your reigning NIT champion. I don't know who won it the year before that. I don't know who won it the year before that. I don't know who won it the year before that. Yeah. I don't know anything. Um, that's been established. One of one. So one of the, the way it was presented to me is, do you know what coaches hate? You've had a disappointing season. Yeah. All right. Now you're in the NIT. Oh, it couldn't get worse. Oh yeah, it could. Cause now you're going to go to Robert Morris and lose a game. All right. It can get worse. They don't want to, Hey, we've already had a disappointing season. And I know not all power conference teams that are in the NIT have had a disappointing season, right? Like if Louisville ends up in the NIT this season, they will have had a, a better season than any of us expect. But largely, if you are from a power conference and you end up in the NIT, you've had a disappointing season. Oh, my God. What a nightmare. And now we're in the NIT and we don't even get to go to New York anymore if we get to the semifinals and play in the garden. And between now and then, we might have to go to Robert Morris or some such place. Why do we want to do that? When this Fox option is you go to one place, you already know where you're going. You're going to Las Vegas. All right. You got to spend a week in Las Vegas and you're play, playing nothing but other power conference teams. You're not at risk of losing to Robert Morris, North Texas, anybody else you throw in there because you don't even have to play those games. The other thing, and I think this is if the question is, why would the NCAA do this? Do you know what the NIT is? And it's, I mean, you know, yeah, of course, you know, invitation tournament. That's exactly right. I knew, I knew you would know that. It's a television property. And do you know what does better on television than North Texas UAB in your championship game? Uh, Villanova, Ohio State. You know? Sure, but I I don't know what the margins are. But you were right. Yes. So if you are game, okay. So now the the NCAA is trying to create. It's a television property. Well, it's it's a better television property when you don't have the Robert Morris's in it. Period. It just is. I'm uh, apologies to Robert Morris, but it's just a better television property. Bobby Mo taking shots. It's just I'm a better scared. television property when those when the smaller schools aren't in it and the bigger ones are. So that's what this is. It's a reaction to the Fox tournament, and it's a um, it's an acknowledgement that hey, at, at at its core, this is a television property, and we need to make it the best television property we can. And having Iona in it is not a way to do that. So I, I think all of that plays a role here. The, um, the problem becomes even with this adjustment. So you lose some of the identity of the NIT. You, you're not going to have this, you know, the guaranteed auto bids for smaller conference champions anymore. You're not going to New York anymore, not in the garden anymore. You've lost a lot of the identity of the NIT you're still competing against something that I think is hard to compete against if that Fox thing does, you know, materialize the way everybody expects it to. Because, yeah, I get it. I, I don't doubt for a second you've talked to one ID who has no interest in it whatsoever. Let me try to sell you on it from this perspective. What if I tell you, okay, clearly you want to be in the NCAA tournament, but if you're not, now we've got this thing. It's going to be played in between the Elite Eight and the Final Four. It will com- not compete with the Elite Eight and it will not compete with the Final Four. It will be played in that week. It will all be played. 
I think it's 16 teams. It will all be played in Las Vegas. You're, we're flying you out there. You're an incredible resort. All 30 NBA franchises are going to be there um, because it's like you can scout 16 teams in Las Vegas. The NBA loves going to Las Vegas. So what if I tell you your options are go to the NIT and you might end up playing at Robert Morris and then you don't know where you're going next and you don't know where you're, and you're not going to New York or I can already guarantee if you're in our event, come to Vegas, incredible resort. Um, you're going to play nothing but power conference teams and you're going to, you know, we're going to do it at T-Mobile or something like that. Yeah. You're going to be evaluated by NBA front offices and you're going to play on national television uh, at, a, at a time where college basketball is the center of the universe, but there isn't actually college basketball games on. That could be intriguing to somebody. But then you get into the details and First of all, it's only 16 teams to do it in that kind of time frame. So you figure you start on a Monday. So you play what Monday, Tuesday, break Wednesday, play Thursday, Friday. Like you got, you got to get in, you got to get in four rounds, right? So you got to yeah. do something like that. Um, no player with any kind of NBA value is going to play in this thing. They're going to have their season be done with, and they're going to go and they're going to get ready for the draft. They're not playing in this thing. They're not waiting two weeks to play in this thing. You're going to have teams. Maybe. That will have, come on, man. Maybe. But then, but then, okay, let's, let's for the sake of the conversation, let's say you're going to play in this thing. Not a chance in hell. Let's, let's say you might be right. All right. Let's let's even for the sake of the conversation say you are right. That makes it no difference than bowl games. Yeah, exactly. Like these bowl games that they matter to the fan bases, but when you've got star players that plan, plus you're gonna have coaches that are not that are gonna get fired. You might have rosters that are seven or eight deep. I just there are selling points, and you you laid them out nicely. I think there's plenty of blowback. And then oh by the way, in the 48, 72 hours since all this happened, I've heard from two different event operators that are now trying to rally around this terrible decision from the NCAA to create their own tournaments to basically pilfer every other non-Big Six conference to get them to do it and then basically destroy the NIT, which gets me to my other thing. The NIT, by the way, is a it's it's a loser from a monetary perspective. The team payouts are like $5,000. The NIT loses money. Like It's been a problem on the books for the NCAA ever since it bought it. What I'm worried about here, because I'm staunchly anti-tournament expansion in any, in any kind of realm. I like 68. I w- you and I would both go back to 64 if we could. I want it to be hard to get into the tournament. I just I like it that way. Okay, I, But what I worry about is that the NIT is all this, all, that this, all this noise that this is creating is it's going to enable the conversation to hasten around expanding the tournament. And then the NCAA eventually tries to do whatever it tries to do with the NIT for the next one, two or three years. And then eventually it just evaporates. And then they decide what the hell let's just go to 80 teams. I I'm just not in favor of that. I now worry. I spoke with another commissioner earlier on Monday who said they 100% agree with this, that they think that this kind of thing is very much on the table by creating this much instability and, antagonism around what the NIT is now and, and really ripping out a lot of, of what, you know, it means from a mid-major perspective. Um, you are now having conference commissioners that are going to, and from their, from their bully pulpit, I get why they're going to do this, but they're going to be like, okay, if you're going to do this, then we're going to talk about expansion and guaranteeing that regular season champions get access to some kind of NCAA sponsored tournament because to do this and to take it away from the NIT goes that you look at any other NCAA organized tournament in any sport at the division one level, this does not happen, does not happen, does not exist. So now you're going to tell us that, 
Okay, understandably so in most cases. If we might not have a league champion that's good enough to be one of the 68, at least we know there's an NCAA run event that's respectable, that's 32 teams deep, that we're going to have representation. Now you're ripping that from us? Well, if you're going to do that, all right, then now we're going to come to the table and say, okay, we're going to add another 10, 12, 14 bids here because this is this just doesn't fly there. Well, here's I the thing. Don't like where this conversation is getting pushed. All of this feels so damn unnecessary from the NCAA standpoint. And to me, it's a rare... It's a rare misfire by Dan Gavitt, who normally does the right thing in most cases. Well, like um, the the issue for the smaller conferences, like they can be upset, and I and I can be upset for them on their behalf. But like, it ain't like they can come to the table with anything. What? What? You, you're so you're going to take this from us? Yes, we are. Now it was all, yeah, yes. Anything else? Any more questions? Well, it's a little more complicated than that, but I know what you're saying. Like from a voting perspective to make these changes and, and the representation from those leagues and those conferences, like there's 32 of them. So I, I understand what you're saying, but it it's not that it won't get there, but it, it would hit some resistance. Oh, one more point on this. Mm-hmm. The fact that this is being done for all these power conferences, again, the NIT will guarantee two teams based on the net rankings, which is just get the hell out of my face with that, uh, with that logic from each of the six big six conferences, Atlantic coast, big East, big 10, big 12, pack 12 sec. Those, there are 12 automatic bids. Now the top two net teams and those for 2024, unless they walk this back, which hello, Dan Gavin and civil you can walk this back. These, these power conference programs, they aren't even over the moon with the NIT to begin with. Right. So the idea that there's all of these changes are being done to accommodate. I mean, I won't give up the school, but I got told, over the off season that there was a power conference school that went to the NIT and played in it, but it lost money. Like by playing in the NIT, it wound up losing money. If you're an athletic director, you're not exactly seeking that. So many aspects to this story just seem. Well, what it seems like to me is that the NCAA is clearly trying to quote, improve, improve the NIT to compete with this new Fox thing. The problem, of course, at least in my opinion, is that their improvements to the NIT still going to leave them as a second option to the Fox tournament. Correct. I, and I don't think you're trying to get you're trying to get as you're trying to. Hey, we need to be the first option for non NCAA tournament teams. And I don't think they're going to be. I don't know if they will be. And by do, by merely by doing this, I want to emphasize this. You have now you have now flicked on a radar, hit an alarm, hit a tripwire for other event organizers who are now going to try and pounce on this and try and organize their own separate tournament. And it's going to splinter everything. Well, I just I can't leave well enough alone. Just it's annoying, but whatever it's, and it's this, this created even more noise and consternation than I expected it to. And, uh, kind of, Kind of shaky move there to news dump this on a Friday heading into a football weekend and think that it wouldn't cause much of a stir. There are a lot of people really pissed off about this. And I wonder, it's not too late. The NCAA can technically, it can reverse course on this. There's nothing stopping the NCAA from deciding to walk back on this thing. We'll see if there's enough pushback behind the scenes to make it happen because that's currently underway. And you see that in the form outwardly of almost every mid-major conference commissioner that has made a statement in, in a kind of way in tenor GP that you normally don't see from a front-facing perspective against the NCAA. You know what's going to happen? They're chopping off all these small conference champions and they're going to end up needing them. <laughs> I know. that's. I, <laughs> they're going to end up needing them to fill out the, correct, the, field, you, out the field because correct. the best teams that they want are going to go to the Fox tournament. I Here's what's going to happen. We're going to look up in two years and the NCAA tournament will be March Madness, the second best tournament being played in college basketball. 
in the month of March will be the Fox tournament, not the NIT. Uh, who even needs that thing? I, I, I think that's fraught with plenty of uh, unnecessary hurdles but whatever okay we'll see hey, we're we'll gonna see. fly young people out to las vegas let them stay in a resort for a week and and uh be evaluated by nba front offices and compete for a trophy why are you against that dead leg the f- underachieving mid power conference teams with uh, nba level talent that won't be on the rosters and probably interim head coaches for at least 15 percent of the field and I, I will gladly pass i will gladly pass I give a passing glance to the NIT in the midst of the tournament. We'll, we can put on a bow with, with all this stuff. Let's, you know, again, the NIT is not the NCAA. It doesn't even come close. So in terms of capturing any kind of national conversation, that flat out doesn't happen. The NIT exists so it can do some rules experimentation and, and potentially implement new things that actually matter toward the game. Um, and it matters to mid-major programs. But ultimately, this just seems like a bunch of misguided energy and you should have just left the NIT well enough alone even with outside forces. Because again, I, I agree with you. The Fox tournament has a chance at coming to existence, but at least behind the scenes, there is definite resistance. And in, in addition to there being business conflicts and some conferences having explicit broadcast deals with ESPN and those conferences aren't going to want their teams playing in it. So I just, you know, it's what are we even doing? Here? Student athletes often don't grow up skiing in Maine like you. Not as I grew, fortunate. I grew up skiing in Vermont. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Not as fortunate as you. I, um, I, 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 I worked at, I worked at Ray's Pizza. Actually, it was Rocky's Pizza. I was about to say, you worked at Ray's Pizza? I never knew that. It was was Rocky's Pizza, Dorset Street, South Burlington, baby. South Burlington, Vermont. Pushing that mozzarella through the machine. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not even kidding here. Like I was. I was not from a well-off family. No. No shot. I worked for my own money at 12, 13, 14 years old to be able to afford to pay myself to get lift tickets to go skiing in high school. And so now you fast forward to 2023, 24, and maybe some young people who didn't grow up skiing in Vermont have an opportunity to go spend a week in Las Vegas at an amazing resort. No cost to them. And you're against it. People will have their expenses paid to go train and work out and prep for the NBA draft by living in extravagant places in Los Angeles and New York. You know exactly what's going to happen. Come on now. I don't know. I guess I'm just not against young people getting uh, to experience an incredible week in Las Vegas at an amazing resort while performing in front of NBA evaluators. I guess I'll I'm just not against idea, ripping away like opportunities. You, you and I both well know like the, the six person down the ladder and the power structure of a scouting department's getting sent to this thing. They're not sending GMs out to look at these players. That's not happening. There will be a GM One? in Las Vegas at the Fox at the uh, at the inaugural Fox tournament. If I we say give it yes. over under 0.5 GMs. I'm going to give you the over. But if we go up to like 4.5, I can't I can't go that aggressive. I'm sorry. I'll get Woj on it. He can get me four GMs there. No problem. I'll text Woj. I'll text Woj. I'll say Woj. I need four GMs in Las Vegas. I've got to prove this dead leg wrong once and for all. <laughs> tournament needs to start existing first. How about that? Hey, listen, really strong. Really strong hour here. I don't know. I no, don't know. Let's, let, let's, let's let the other folks decide. Oh, by the way. Yeah, what's up? Just so you know. Oh, boy. Just so you know. Okay, go ahead. You labeled me former MC of Atlantic 10 Media Day. Yes. I immediately got a test uh, text from Dude, Drew Dickerson. Yes. Assistant Commissioner Atlantic 10. I also got a text from him. What, what's your point? He Well, he said, j- just so you know, we don't have the Media Day luncheon anymore in the yeah. Atlantic 10. You, you but, ended it. Yeah. But, but It's your fault. <laughs> I, I might have run it straight into the yes, ground. You that you think about it. Straight into the ground. But he said, if we did, guess it would be MC again. Uh, it's got to be Rothstein. GP! <laughs> GP! So I'm forever MC of the Atlantic 10 Media Day. We just don't do it very much anymore. You are the uh, MC Emeritus, I believe is your title. I'm the, I'm the master of ceremonies 
for when the Atlantic 10 ever wants to have a media day. Yeah, that's that's a, <laughs> if they ever decide to do there's one. A, there's a memo that's been it gets circulated twice a year around the offices that are like, hey guys, just so we're clear here, like we we know the deal in the offices here, but if like Parrish ever asks anyone or you know he's talking on the podcast, just 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 tell him. Just tell, like if we if we ever do it again, like yeah, like it's gonna be just let him let him think it's that's really what's happening. Yeah, it's like that guy who's like, hey, you know, I used to play cards at your house all the time, but I hadn't heard from you in a while. Exactly. It's like, oh yeah, we don't play cards anymore. Yeah, they we moved, just don't they, do that anymore. Yeah, they moved it over to Wes's house, but, but no one told. <laughs> yeah, but if we did if we did that, oh, of course we would invite you. If we still did that, we don't yeah. we don't we don't do that anymore. We don't that's, do that I anymore. I think that's yeah. The uh, the A ten the luncheon now is it's it's actually it's actually a breakfast and it happens in in the basement of the local Marriott. There they just don't let you know. Yeah, they they're doing. What if they're doing secret media day luncheons? <laughs> and all designed to keep it away from me. Incredible. And they they <laughs> smuggle John Fanta in. Yes. <laughs> they smuggle in John Fanta. You know how they sneak Taylor Swift on stage at the exactly. Aeros tour. That's, you're, you're painting a picture. That's right. They put Fanta in the little mop closet that they put Taylor Swift in, and they roll Fanta in to the Marriott, and then they have a media day luncheon down there. One day, yeah, they're, they're going to do it again one day. You're, you're, to be you're, clear, if it's not clear, Atlantic Ten does have a media day, just not does. a media day luncheon anymore. Yeah, that's. But if they ever decide to have one, this is what I was told. If they ever decide to have one again, I'm gonna be the master of ceremonies for that. That's what the memo's about. Yeah. Can't wait. Man, I'm looking forward to that. Season's almost here. We're one day closer to a possible ATN Media Day lunch in 2024. That's correct. Season starts in one week, by the way. We are one week out from games. How about that? And we're going to have a show on CBS Sports Network on Thursday. And it How will also be that? in the podcast feed. How about that? It just I just realized that uh, you sent an email with a rundown. I saw it this morning, but Cooper Flag committed, and uh, I didn't respond to that email yet. So I got to do that here before the afternoon's out. But I, you know what? I'm going to respond to the email on the show. I'm good with all of it. There you go. All right. Yeah. No, it was good. There was one one recommended tweak, and I I, I agree with the recommended tweak, and then we'll be good to go. We're going to go big picture, a lot of stuff. Be sure to keep an eye out. CBS Sports Network, 10 a.m. I believe 10 a.m. on Thursday will be our next podcast, barring any breaking news like... Uh, like GP getting official word that he's no longer MC of A10 Media Day. If that does come in an official form in the next 48 hours, we will have an emergency podcast for you. I'm going to die, Master of Ceremonies of Atlanta Media Day. I hope I die doing it. Okay. Well, that's a little dark. Like right in the middle of it. Oh, gosh. I just can't believe they will Fanta in there behind my back. <laughs> they wouldn't do that, I don't think. I think it was all Fanta's machinations. I think he did it. I think it's his idea. Yeah. His ideas. You got to watch those up and comers, Norlander. I know. We used to be the up and comers. Uh, That hasn't been a while. It's been a while. We now there's new up and comers. There's up and comers for the up and comers. That's right. Oh, there's somebody they've been they've had their eyes on Master of Ceremonies of ATN Media Day for a while now. But that's still mine. Our eight minute podcast here on a Monday. I'm gonna hold on to it. I'm gonna hold on to it. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. and Teagle, legend. Shouts to Huck, Larnell, Drew Dickerson. If you're not subscribed you to go. the Island College Basketball Podcast, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple, Spotify. More of us than there are of them. That should be reflected in the comments. And like Deadleg said, at the very latest, we will talk to you again on Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern, live on CBS Sports Network. That's right. Looking forward to it. Kind of live.
As far as they're concerned, it'll be live, and then it will go into. It'll look live. It's going into the feed after it airs on television. Oh, it's going to be fabulous. It will be. I can't wait. What do you think we're going to wear? With you, anything's possible. I haven't. I haven't decided yet. I haven't gotten to that. I'm wearing an Atlantic Ten shirt. You should actually. You know what? I can wear. I've got. I've got. I think I've got an Atlantic Ten workout shirt that I can rock. Should we both wear A Ten gear? This might surprise you. As Master Ceremony. You don't agent. have it? You just lie to our audience? I don't know if I have an A10 shirt. I actually do have an A10 shirt. I, well, I, I'm going to go shopping right now. I'm going to go try to find one. <laughs> what do you think you can find an A10 shirt in North Mississippi? You might need to text Drew Dickerson and ask for some overnight packaging. <sighs> That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. I appreciate, a I appreciate you not bringing up the, uh, the Arkansas over Purdue thing because, oh my goodness, those Arkansas fans, they are out in full force. I thought yeah, not, I, my, my rule is uh, don't pay uh, too much attention to exhibitions. That's true. But Arkansas fans, I tweeted this out and I will I at least I, I own up to this. I picked you low. I have Purdue number one. Arkansas did win a home overtime exhibition game over the weekend and anticipation around Fayetteville is eager, eager, eager. And if this proves to be correct, I always own up to my mistake. So I will have a mea culpa. But let's just get to the regular season. And see how it plays out. You go and get excited for your Razorbacks. Best of luck to you. Call the Hogs right now. I don't even know how to. Oh, I, think you, I think you know how. I will not. I'm not calling the Hogs an exhibition season. Ooh, pig. Suey. Pig. Suey. There's another one. And then you do some more stuff. You know. Yeah, that, that was that D minus right there. What are you talking about? You gotta give it more you gotta put some you gotta put some suey into it. You gotta you gotta you gotta get some snout into it. That had what? To, I didn't know I, I didn't know you wanted me yelling into a microphone this time of the day. It's something to work on for later in the season. Them razorbacks gonna make you look silly. I'm ready for it. Sillier than that beard of yours. <laughs> we'll talk to you again soon. See you later. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.